And the Splendid Bohemians with you one more time. Bill Mesnick, Rich Buckland, Bill is in California, I'm in Florida, and we are here for the second induction into our newly formed Rock My Soul Hall of Acclaim. Yay. Yay, man. Yay, yay. And you know what? This is a church of uh, the holy sanctity of artists who have not been recognized in our estimation given their just tribute. And we won't even mention the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because well, there may not be any, there's more money than justice. But uh, not to offend anyone who likes heart, but we're here to talk about artists of another, uh, of another culture and another uh, time and place. So we're going to talk today about a great group of musicians. So let's start off by uh, enticing you. Let's see if the audience can guess who we're even going to be talking about here. If I mention the name Steve Katz, Tommy Flanders, Roy Blumenfeld, Danny Kalb. Ring a bell? Ring a bell. Well, this should do it. Al Cooper. Al yes. Cooper. Al Cooper. Al Cooper. Al Cooper, you, the Zelig of rock and roll. The Zelig is right. You talk about this. The, the, this the, we're talking about the Blues Project. Yes. The Blues Project is but a brief blip in the career of Al Cooper, who sort of came and scorched uh, in his march to uh, greatness. But let's start with Danny Cow because Danny Cow. You know, in 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 Al Cooper's book, Backstage Passes and Backstabbing Bastards, he, he talks a lot about the Blues Project. This was an important uh, stepping stone for him. And the way he characterizes uh, the the difference, the conflict between Danny Kalb and himself is that Danny Kalb was a purist. He mm -hmm. was a blues purist. And Al was rock and roll. And when he wanted to add horns to the blues project that was that was the last straw for danny cow but going back in the beginning electra records had an acoustic compendium album called the blues project and danny cow was part of that right danny cow was part of that and he was a student of dave van ronk yes he was he was a student of dave van ronk and my recollection is that he had ads in the village voice constantly to teach guitar. Along, Danny Kalb did. along with Reverend Gary Davis, um, uh, Dave Bromberg, other artists. This is how they were, were able to make a living. I mean, this was, uh, it was not easy being Danny Kalb or any of these other great artists who had this desire to remain true to the music that inspired them most and that they played best. Yeah, uh, Paul Butterfield and Danny Kalb, they were almost like uh, competing forces as who were going to be the, the white, the young white blues band uh, reigning kings to inherit the black uh, legacy. But everyone, they attempted to stay true to it to the best of their abilities. Butterfield in particular, when you look at their initial recording with Born in Chicago, considered one of the 10 best blues albums of all time, which is yeah. quite a monument considering Paul Butterfield is is, is certainly not black. Um, 
There was no way that he that Danny Calvo was going to be able to remain pure with the nudging of Al Cooper and what he wanted to do. No. And so what we have here is this initial release on now they're they're contracted with Verve Records. Right. And that Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson. And you've got this producer. You've got this initial recording with Tommy Flanders on vocals. Right. Let your hair hang down so low Alberta, baby Child, let your hair hang down so low I would give you more gold Just let your hair long hang down so low. Flanders is an interesting vocalist. He never really accomplished much after that first Blues Project album. But I live from the Cafe Agogo. Live from the Cafe Agogo, and I consider that a beautiful, beautiful record. One of those records I I wore out. Um, But then the revelation comes afterwards with a record called Projections. Projections, and this was the studio recording where Al Cooper started to step forward from the shadows. And I think, like you say. Up until that time, he was uh, the keyboard man and kind of keeping to himself a little bit. Flanders was the lead singer. Flanders leaves, and Al Cooper kind of fills that vacuum right. and becomes the uh, the creative artist, writing the songs, creating the arrangements. This was a problem for Danny Cal. Well, it would have to be, because if you listen to Two Trains Running on projections and you listen to the impeccable, impeccable guitar riffs, I was certain after hearing this that he would eclipse the majority of electric guitar uh, blues players that I had heard up to that point, including Mike Bloomfield. I thought, yeah, and you know, um, uh, Cooper pays tribute to Danny's uh, 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 solo in Two Trains Running. And he says one of Danny's strings slipped a half tone out of tune. And he used that space to play a riff, incorporating the necessary tuning back up of the string. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, he's paying tribute to Danny's genius. And and you listen to that track, and I can listen to that track. It's like, in some ways, listening to that those riffs are like listening to a Coltrane recording. It never seems, sounds the same to me twice. Yeah. And there is a genius in there. And that on that track is where it is unleashed at, at, at its finest. Brilliant work. Brilliant you, work. You've got Cooper's uh, 
signature. But I, back in the day, I couldn't really sit and listen to it because it was 11 minutes long. I just wanted to hear uh, Wake Me, Shake Me. Uh, and, right. uh, I can't keep from crying. Right. And I, and catch uh, You Can't Catch Me. I yeah. think the problem is that with time and gratitude for this musicianship, we've now understood that th- those were the moments yes. that, that we should have savored. Yeah, those were those were the savoring moments. So Cab's so Cab's career appears to be taking off, but suddenly there is this push to create a more commercial blues project. Yeah, and and it it can't last. I mean, it it doesn't last. They go on the road. They have a kind of. Um, uh, miserable time on the road and um by the time they they're done uh, they're done i don't think they did another studio album did they i don't think it was another studio album there was the live town hall album which stands which actually was uh, recorded suny purchase right and some of those tracks were re-recorded in the studio so where there's smoke there's fire cheryl's going home i don't believe that these were actually live tracks i believe they took the old um, the old standard of record of, of having tracks and then putting a studio audience behind it. The thunder cracks against the night. A dark explodes with yellow light. The railroad sign is flashing red The people stare but I don't care My flesh is cold against my bone And Cheryl's going home Come here me shouting in the rain Is there a way to stop the train? Um, <laughs> they were just, those. The, the record company was just trying to salvage uh, what they could out of the situation. But this is interesting. He says that, did you know this? Before um, Metallica, the Blues Project actually together uh, visited a psychiatrist for um, uh, a, a first their first rock group therapy session to try and air their uh, acrimony. <laughs> no, this I've never heard before. Did you hear this? No. Um, yeah, it's in his uh, autobiography. They actually, all all five of them, Sat down yeah. For, yeah. for therapy. He says it was like an emotional 4th of July. Everybody got their deep-seated animosities out of the air, and the air was charged with discontent and the psychiatrist's fee. <laughs> Danny didn't like this about Roy. Steve didn't like this about me, etc. One session. What's fascinating is there was so much, there was so much at stake to try to keep some of these acts together. And yeah. you hear it you hear this you hear similar stories about the efforts made with a band that we'll get to down the line, the Electric Flag, another short-lived enterprise that seemed like it should have remained intact for a very long period of time. But alas, right. everybody's got their, their their differences. But in this particular case, given the heyday of what was being produced and what was at stake when you have Verve Records attempting to promote the Velvet Underground at the same time they're promoting the Blues Project and Verve Records with their magnificent uh, boxed set 
of uh, the Blues Bucks with Joe Turner and Joe Williams and all these, and Bill Brunzi, uh, trying to remain sacred to the craft was one thing. But I think you had severe personality issues with a lot of these yeah. cats. They could never yeah. be, could never it, be overcome. When, when you look at the purist versus the, uh, you know, stoner rock and roller, um, who with who was consumed by ambition. I mean, uh, Al Cooper's career from writing this diamond ring for Gary Lewis and the Playboys and being in the sessions uh, with Dylan for um, Like a Rolling Stone and Highway uh, and uh, Blonde on Blonde, and just you name it, one, and Blood, Sweat and Tears, who we've covered in our Horns episode. And Super, so that se- super was Session. The, yeah, and Super Session, right, the- with Bloomfield and, and Stephen Stills. Right. This is a man who has done so much and has covered so many areas and been successful in so many areas. But let's talk about Danny Kalb. Danny Kalb is still out there. He's got a website. Yeah. What do you know about Danny Kalb? The only thing that I, you know, it's it, it's interesting because Danny Kalb was, was secretive even back in the day. And there were stories that had circulated as to why he was not in the game as deeply as it seemed he should have been in the game. The stories that we heard in New York going back to the um, mid-70s were that was that he had an accident ah. where he fell off a fire escape of his apartment and injured his arm and could not play for a period of time and began a process where he had to learn to play completely differently. Oh, wow. Now, this in conjunction with other stories about how he just wasn't interested in the business anymore and he was anti the business and uh, was attempting to, you know, was very discouraged at the, uh, as Dave Van Ronk was when Verve Records signed him with the Hudson Dusters to create a more rock pop oriented album. But what that generated was his version of Clouds, Van Ronk's version of Clouds, which is possibly the best version of, of Joni Mitchell's song that you'll ever hear. What Danny Kalb's vision turned into is uh, a cover of Adam Faith's Cheryl's Going Home. So yeah. he didn't have a chance to use the lucrative uh, inspiration that he wanted to take with him uh down this uh, this career path now he's still performing steve katz is still performing i believe katz and blumenfeld are now out there together calling As... themselves the blues project okay yeah. all right why not yeah i mean this is you know, obviously there was no problem with the name so steve katz and roy blumenfeld are doing this small tour uh, I believe it's right around this time where they are going out as the Blues Project. So I wonder if Danny Kalb is still giving guitar lessons. I wonder if, you, you know, I mean, you see clips of Kalb on YouTube and there are some live performances. I don't see anything very current, but um, it's, I always reflect back on that guitar solo and the first time I heard that and the other contributions on projections in particular. And how he's appearing in that flowered shirt, that blue, yes. right on the cover of the album. That's one of the great album covers, as 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 well. 
sort of an enigmatic presence. Yes, yeah. And you're saying to yourself, this is this is going to be the guy. And alas, no, this is not the guy. But he's still with us, and he didn't succumb to the, right. to, you know, to, to a lot of the... Uh, I mean, Al Cooper, meanwhile, uh, I don't know what he's doing now. I know he's almost blind, and he was teaching music... Uh, at Emerson in, I believe it was Berkeley, maybe in Boston for many years, but I don't know if he's still doing that. Yeah. Uh, when you reflect on Cooper's career, there's two things that stand out. Of course, you, you know, the blues project is almost eclipsed. When you think about his walking into that Dylan session, seating him down at the organ and just deciding to throw that riff on like yeah. a rolling stone, which is, yeah. I, Which I, made the record in a way. Yes, and it's the most important Hammond organ sound uh, next to the opening of You Keep Me Hanging On by Vanilla Fudge. <laughs> or maybe Inagata Booker De- T and the MGs. Booker, Booker T and the MGs, Inagata DeVita. But there's something about the strains, that, that a completely magnetic, magical moment that occurred during that session. It's like, oops. He's sort of a savant. I mean, you know. He, he he he's very uh, uh, self-deprecating when he talks about his musical skills. And, and yet yes. he's been everywhere and contributed to being a producer and, you know, produced Leonard Skinner and, you know, you, you name it. But the only uh, the only top 40 record he has is a recording called I Can't Quitter. And uh, it's a great From record. Blood, Sweat and Tears. Blood, Sweat and Tears. But... Also, I love his solo albums, though, I have to admit. What do you think of Cooper as a vocalist? You know, he's a not a good singer, but I love hearing his voice. Is, isn't that so fascinating, right? Yeah. yeah. It's one of those things. It's like Jerry Garcia, you know. The guy can't hold a note, but when you hear the voice, it comforts you. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's like somebody's still born to do what they're doing, but without... Other gifts. It's just the sheer, uh, the sheer nature of what they were born with, and it's yeah. It's it's communicating. Yeah, it's communicating. Communicates in uh, humor, emotion, and and some style. Even though he doesn't have the chops. Yeah, yeah. And he sings soul music, like in the album "I Stand Alone." He sings Western Union Man, and it's like. It's very endearing. Now, you know, when we when we think about how these guys went out, at least they went out with a bang at the Monterey Pop Festival. That was that was it for them. All right, well, take us home with that. So it's June 1967, and half the lineup is is already been dismissed, and Katz was almost on his way out, and. Uh, Al Cooper was actually at the festival in the capacity of assistant stage manager to Chip Monk, who later went on to Woodstock fame. Right, right. Um, and that was it. But it was captured on film, and it is part of the Monterey Pop extras. That Did Cooper play the set with them? Cooper played the set with them, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you get to see the final... That that last breath of the whole relationship, soup to nuts, was two years. Two years, and what they did with it was they were forced into uh, 
I think the term that Cooper, the fourth album, <laughs> the Blues Project had a fourth album. It was called, 1968, called Planned Obsolescence. And I guess that's, okay. that summarizes the entire... That says uh, it all, right? Yeah. And it was released under the name The Blues Project at Verve Records' insistence. They really didn't have much of a say about it. And then they went on to form C-Train. That's right. We saw C-Train and we at saw, the uh, Fillmore. We forced... And they were that was a great band. So it, yeah. it, it began the reckoning of what Al Cooper would continue to attempt to do. But that was Peter Rowan, his band. It was very country influenced. Yeah, there was country influence. There was jazz influence. It, it, yeah. was, it was a very interesting band. Do you remember who else was on that bill? I uh, do not. Might it be Traffic? It might have been Traffic. I think, in fact, I think it was. Or was it Blind Faith? I didn't. I've never seen Blind never Faith. Saw, then so it, then it, it was. I, it but was, I did see Traffic. It was Winwood oriented. So I think it was Traffic. I think it was yeah. Traffic. But uh, yeah, th and that that was the last hurrah. Uh, and but Cooper's career, you know, he's 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 a monument. But for those not familiar with these Blues Project albums, Live at the Cafe of Go Go and Projections, and even for a kick, listen to that Town Hall album, the Live at Town Hall album, with those uh, singles that Verve tried to push. Um, they're still. I remember thinking the flute thing was very original because you didn't hear a flute in a rock and roll band. And in fact, uh, that riff was written by Al Cooper and given to, um, uh, who was the flautist in the group? Was it that um, was Andy, Colbert? That was Andy Kohlberg. Yeah. yeah. That was Andy Kohlberg. And that should have taken Kohlberg to some place. But um, uh, well, I think it did. He was the first one, apparently, according to Cooper, that electrified. That, that electrified the flute, with the exception, of course, of the king. Herbie Mann? Well, in rock and roll, who do you identify oh. with the flute? Oh, Jethro Tull, yeah. Yeah, Jethro Tull. Of course. That was around the same time, and yeah. Jethro Tull, I think, had been had been, I, I think, uh, he'd been attempting this a couple of years prior. So, um, but if we're talking projections, is sixty five or sixty six around there? That does precede Jethro Tull. Yeah, I don't know when Tull formed, but and, and I don't know when um, when the entire I know the entire ethic of beginning to electrify these instruments. Um, I mean, once Miles Davis did it, everybody did it. So he gave it, he yeah. gave he gave it carte blanche to, to do it in any uh, in in any form of music. But you're right, you didn't hear that at that particular time. 
And um, so it's interesting to sum up with the Blues project. You have that that division between these two titans, Danny Calvin and Al Cooper. And Al Cooper was all about the dictum, no hit record, you don't survive. So he was trying to uh, get them a hit record. Yeah, because he was informed by his own experience with a record by Gary Lewis and the Playboys and the doors that that can open. Yeah. Um, and that was 1963. So he's, right. he's living with that ethic all through this Blues Project experience and, uh, and beyond. So we pay tribute and induct into the Rock My Soul Hall of Acclaim, the Blues Project. The Blues Project. The Blues Project. Yes, my friend. Yes, my friend. They're, and they're not gone. I mean, there's still two on the road. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it, the stuff. Yeah, they're all dies. still alive, too. Is there, is, is it, yeah, that's interesting. They're all still alive, as, as best we know. No, Blumenthal. Died, right? did, did, no, I thought that he's on the road now with, uh, I thought he's on the road, the one on the road okay. now with well, Steve Katz. God bless him. Hey, what, you know, look. I, I look, don't want, I don't mean to bury him. Yeah, we don't want to bury anybody here, so we may have to, uh, to, to adapt this. But in any case, the Blues Project. And so once again, we have done our, Adios, due, we've done our due diligence and we will be back again Bill Mesnick, Rick Buckland, the Splendid Bohemians, residing now in the Rock My Soul Hall of Acclaim. We'll be with you next time. See you later, man. I keep on crying sometimes. I can't keep on crying sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes.